All right. Well, we are continuing our series on the Beatitudes today uh, by considering the third Beatitude uh, that is found in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 5. And we're going to go right to it today, right to the scripture. Uh, So here is what it says. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, it's usually true when you read the Bible that our English translation does a pretty good job of conveying the original meaning of the, of the text. You know, most times when you read the Bible in English, you're getting a really good idea of what it actually meant in the original uh, languages. But there are places where translation proves a little bit more difficult, and we end up with words that don't quite capture the original meaning. And so when these things happen, at these times, it's uh, the time that we become thankful for scholars who give the hard work that it takes to learn the original languages of the Bible and help us to get to the original meaning of the text. And so the Beatitudes provide examples for us where the English translation proves inadequate at fully capturing the meaning uh, of what we've read, the meaning of the text. And this third Beatitude is a case in point, as actually have been all of the ones that we've looked at so far uh, in this series. Here's how Dictionary.com defines the word meek. Humbly patient or docile, overly submissive or compliant, spiritless, tame. So by this definition of meek, here's what the third beatitude would mean. Blessed are those who are docile, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who are overly submissive, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who are spiritless, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who are tame, for they will inherit the earth. It gives the impression that Jesus is celebrating timidity, perhaps subservience, maybe spinelessness. Someone who gets rolled over easily. Someone who is a low energy person. And of course there are voices all around telling us that that's, you know, what it means to be a Christian. I mean, what it means to be a Christian has basically been reduced in our time to be nice. Be nice. Someone who gets rolled easy. Someone who is spineless. Someone who is low energy. Someone like Eeyore. Eeyore. I think we're supposed to have a picture. Where's my Eeyore picture? There you go. Blessed are the Eeyores of the world, for they will inherit the earth. You never know what's going to happen around here. But this is not what Matthew 5, 5 says. It's not what it means. It is not what Jesus taught. 
Eorish people are not who Jesus is saying are blessed. So if that's not what meek means, what does it mean? Uh, William Barclay, who was a renowned New Testament interpreter and professor of divinity and biblical criticism at Glasgow University in Scotland, gives us three meanings of the Greek word uh, that is translated into English as meek. And here's the first one. The happy medium between too much and too little anger. The second meaning of the word comes from the word's usage as it relates to domesticating an animal, training an animal to obey by a word command, or in the case of a horse, by training it to respond to the bridle and the reins. And so the meaning of the word is trained to obey. And again, it references an animal which has learned to accept the control of its master. And the third meaning of the word, according to Barclay, is true humility, which banishes all pride. So these were the meanings of the word that, that we read today as meek, that gets translated as the word uh, meek. By the way, the word in Greek is uh, praus for meek and priotes for, probably didn't say those right, for meekness. So three meanings. The happy medium between too much and too little anger, trained to obey or trained to accept control, and true humility, which banishes all pride. So we see already that blessed are the meek does not mean blessed are the docile or blessed are those who are low energy or timid, blessed are those who are like Eeyore, blessed are the meek means something very different than any of those things. And so based on the three meanings of the word translated meek, let's consider what this beatitude actually says, what it actually means. Here is the first meaning. Blessed are those who are always angry at the right time and never angry at the wrong time. It's another way of saying, blessed are those who get angry at the right things and don't get angry at the wrong things. What are the right times and the wrong times to be angry? What are the right things and the wrong things to be angry about? Well, let's, let's talk about that for a minute. It is right to be angry when we see another person being truly mistreated. It's right to be angry about that. It is right to look at our world and see injustice in the world and to be angry about that. It is right to be angry that in the United States it is legal to terminate the life of an unborn child through all nine months of pregnancy up and until the very moments before birth. It's right to be angry about that. When we see people mistreated, when we observe injustice, when we contemplate the evil of abortion, those are the right times to be angry. Those are the right kind of things to be angry about. All of this type of anger can accurately be called righteous anger. 
Blessed are those who are angry uh, at the right things, who get angry at the right things, and don't get angry at the wrong things. What are some of the wrong things that we get angry about? Mild offenses. Someone absent-mindedly walks by us without saying hi. Have any of you ever gotten angry about that? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> you, you probably have. I have. The boss mistakenly forgets to name you as he's listing off people who helped with the project. Your friends said they'd call, but then they got busy and they forgot to call. Not saying these things aren't annoying. They're really not things to cause us to become angry. They're minor, unintentional type of slights. They're not the kind of things that warrant anger. They're petty and selfish things to become angry about. And yet so often we get angry about those things. And then these huge problems in our world, we just meander through life as if, yeah, that's just the way things are, no big deal. Blessed are those who are angry at the right time and never angry at the right time. It's a way of saying, we can say it this way, blessed are those who become righteously angry but refuse to become unrighteously angry. Blessed are those who know when anger is warranted and know when anger is not warranted. And so how are we doing at this? How are you doing at this? Remember from the first week that these Beatitudes are both aspirational. They are things that we aspire to. But they are also statements of what is for believers. Or <laughs> what is supposed to be for believers. And so we should see some of this at work in our lives. For a follower of Christ, there should be some evidence in our lives that we are, we are becoming people who get angry at the right times and don't get angry at the wrong times. Do you see evidence of this in your life? If not, it doesn't necessarily mean you're not a Christian, but it does mean there's some work that you need to allow God to do in your life. There's some work that I need to allow God to do in my life. I will admit this is an area I need God to help me. Do we see evidence of this in our lives? Blessed are the meek, those who are angry at the right time and not the wrong time. Here's the second meaning of this beatitude. Blessed are those who are self-controlled because they are God-controlled. Barclay says it this way, Blessed are those who have every instinct, every impulse, every passion under control. Blessed are those who in, are entirely self-controlled. And then he goes on and notes that being entirely self-controlled is beyond our capability. And so the only way that we can do this is if we allow ourselves to become God-controlled. 
Friends, this is fundamental to what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian is more than having our sins forgiven and receiving eternal life. It's more than being able to flippantly say, I'm not perfect, just forgiven. It's more than that. Being a Christian means giving up control of your life. I'm not saying this so you'll amen, just for impact. I want to say it again. <laughs> because, well, being a Christian is giving up control of your life. I didn't say it for that reason, but thank you. It is stepping off the throne of your own life and ceding the throne to the rightful occupant, God, Jesus Christ. It is truly becoming a person who says, God, not my will, but yours be done. It's resisting temptation, not because we don't find the temptation attractive, but because we recognize Christ as Lord of our lives. It is the recognition that our lives do not belong to us. Our lives are His. And then living in the reality of that truth. We don't belong to ourselves. We belong to Him. We have been bought with a price. And so we are not our own. We are owned by Jesus Christ. Here's what this means. It means that sometimes we tell ourselves no when we want to tell ourselves yes because God is telling us no. You might want to have sex with your boyfriend or girlfriend. It's an understandable impulse. But God says no. So you say no. You exercise self-control. Because you have ceded control of your life to God. It means sometimes saying yes. When you really want to say no. The Holy Spirit nudges you to talk to your neighbor about coming to church. Nudges you to offer to pray for your neighbor when they tell you they're having a surgery and they're nervous about it. And I don't mean pray like, hey, I'll be praying about that. More like, hey, could I pray for you right here and right now out in the middle of the cul-de-sac? Don't want to do it. Don't want to put yourself out there like that. But God says yes. So we say yes. Blessed are those who are committed to God's control of their lives to the point that they'll tell themselves no when they want to say yes and tell themselves yes when they want to say no. 
Blessed are those who are self-controlled because they are God-controlled. How are you doing with this? Is there evidence in your life that you sometimes tell yourself no when you want to say yes? There needs to be. Is there evidence in your life that sometimes you say yes even when you want to say no? Examine yourself. Be, be honest about it. How are you doing with anger? How are you doing with giving God control of your life? Here's the third meaning of this beatitude. Blessed are those who are humble enough to be teachable and humble enough to recognize their need for forgiveness. Humility is such a vital thing. Do you realize that we can't even learn, we, we, like we can't even commit ourselves to learning unless we have humility? Because without humility, we don't come to the realization, or at least we're not willing to acknowledge, that we are ignorant and need to learn. It requires humility to recognize our own ignorance. You cannot teach a person something if that person is already convinced that they know everything. I can't and you can't learn anything if we are already convinced that we know everything. Jesus is basically saying, blessed are those who have the humility to recognize their own ignorance. When we get to the place where we think we know everything, we are in very unfortunate and even dangerous territory. Because spiritual growth requires an ongoing posture of humility. It requires the realization that I don't know everything I need to know about God. I don't know everything I need to know about His Word. I don't know everything I need to know about being a Christian. There are things that I need to learn and ways that I need to grow. And it occurred to me that I think our hunger for the Word of God is often directly tied to our realization of how much we have yet to learn. And our lack of hunger for the Word of God is often an indicator that we think we don't really have much to learn anymore. You see this. A new believer. They, they just have a, a huge appetite for the Word of God. And then 10, 15, 20 years down the line... We all make jokes about how we should be reading the Bible a lot more than we are, but we don't. Is there something in that that, like, part of why we're not motivated is because really we, we think we kind of got it all figured out? We think we kind of know what we need to know? Jesus was often running into the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, who thought that they had God all figured out. They, they thought they had God all figured out to the point that they rejected Jesus, the very God they claimed to serve. 
not being open to, to learning and, and receiving and getting new information is a dangerous thing. Too often we as Christians assume we've got a lot more figured out than what we really do. And so we comfort ourselves with biblical wisdom like God won't ever put on you more than you can bear. Or biblical wisdom like God helps those who helps themselves. Of course, that's not biblical wisdom because it's not in the Bible. <laughs> Neither one of those things are in the Bible. And I don't mean to put you on the spot if you thought they were on the Bi- in the Bible, but we need to point out that there's a lot that Christians tend to adopt that they think the Bible says that the Bible doesn't actually say. Which... <laughs> Which, thank you, Joe. (laughs) Well, that pretty much sums up the sermon, so (laughs) we can go home now. So we, we do, like, we get off track because we assume more than what we actually know. And so we dismiss a Christian brother or sister who have a burden for the poor with flippant remarks like, well, Jesus said there'd always be poor people. What are you going to do? Well, he did say there were always going to be poor people with us, but his intention wasn't to relieve us of concern for the poor, which the Bible actually says an awful lot about. We rail against people receiving government assistance by saying things like, well, if a man won't work, he shouldn't eat. With no understanding of the context that that was written in, it was written within the community of faith. It wasn't like a once-for-all statement for all of society. It was within those of us who are working together and living together. If someone's not pulling their weight, then let them suffer. That was the context that it was written in. Now, I'm not suggesting that there aren't applications for that, which would go somewhat beyond the original context. But again, it was not written to justify a harsh attitude toward people who may have some kind of need for support or or. Uh, that type of uh, that type of help it was not written to justify harsh attitudes toward people it was not written as a way for us to find support for opinions that we already held regardless of what the bible had to say about it i've been guilty about what i'm about to say so i i will acknowledge this to you But sometimes the most excited we get about the Bible is when we search it for validation of something we already believe, independent of whether or not the Bible actually says it, but we are so convinced of our rightness that we just know what we already believe is in there somewhere. I know it's in there. I just can't find it. It's a big book, but I know it's in there. Well, sometimes it's not in there. Sometimes it is not in there. Blessed are those who are humble enough to be and remain teachable, who recognize that they don't know everything 
And they approach God and his word and all of life in a posture of, I don't know everything that I should know. And so I'm going to be open to learning more. Blessed are those who are humble enough to be teachable. And blessed are those who are humble enough to recognize their need of forgiveness. Blessed are those who not only recognize their own ignorance, but who recognize their own weakness, their own need, their own need of God. And if you've been attentive to everything that's been taught so far in this series on the Beatitudes, you know that this idea has shown up now in all three weeks of the series. The first beatitude, rightly understood, means blessed are those who recognize their need of God. The second beatitude, rightly understood, includes the blessedness of the person who mourns over their sin. And now in this third beatitude, part of its meaning at least, is the blessedness of those who recognize their own weakness and their need of forgiveness. Blessed are those who recognize their brokenness, who recognize their sinfulness, who recognize their need for God's forgiveness. And we never move past the need to recognize our need for God's grace, our need for God's mercy, our need for forgiveness. And in the day that we live in, this message goes against everything that our culture is telling us. Our culture tells us in all sorts of ways that we are good just like we are. No matter how many things we do and say and believe that God specifically condemns. The culture says, you are good, just like you are. In fact, our culture has gotten to the place where it essentially says that the greatest moral good is affirming ourselves just like we are. While God and the Bible tell us that the way we are is unacceptable to God and has placed us under rightful judgment. That we need God's forgiveness. And that to get it, we need a Savior. We, we, we can't get it on our own. We have to have help. Blessed are those who are humble enough to be teachable. And humble enough to recognize their need for forgiveness. So, if we take all these meanings of meek and we put them together... What our English Bible translates as blessed are the meek actually means something like this. And so we're thankful for the William Barclays of the world. Blessed are those who are always angry at the right time and never angry at the wrong time, who have every instinct, impulse, and passion under control because they themselves are God-controlled, who have the humility to realize their own ignorance and their own weakness and their own need of forgiveness. A little different understanding, isn't it? 
I titled today's message, Blessed, Those Who Are Yielded to God, because I think that summarizes quite well this fuller meaning of the third beatitude. To always be angry at the right time and never at the wrong time can only happen as we are yielded to God. To have every instinct and impulse and passion under control can only happen if we're yielded to God. Have you figured out that is outside of your ability to pull off? It can only happen as we're yielded to God. To remain teachable and stay in touch with our need of forgiveness are things that we can only do when we believe what God says instead of what we think, instead of what our culture says. We can only be like this if we're yielded to God. Otherwise, what happens to human beings is that we become know-it-alls. And we become people who think that we're fine, just like we are, with no need to change. Blessed are those who are yielded to God. Blessed are those who have exalted God to the throne of their lives. Blessed are those who have given up control of their own lives and yielded control of their lives to God. And so this is the question that I want you to consider today. Is your life yielded to God? Is your life yielded to God? And there are ways to know. We've touched on them throughout, uh, I've touched on them throughout the message. What's your anger situation? I mean, honestly, think through this for a minute. What is your anger situation? Are you a right-time anger person or a wrong-time anger person? Do you ever answer yes to anything that you want to answer no? For no other reason than you sense God is saying that your answer should be yes. Do you ever say no to something you want to say yes to for no other reason Then that's what you sense God is telling you? Are you teachable? Do you recognize the need to understand God's word better? Are you open to learning from people who are further down the road in walking with the Lord than you are? Here's one that I understand comes with some risk of seeming self-serving, but Do you recognize that God places church leaders in your life to help you grow and for some accountability? Or is your attitude that leaders aren't any different than me, they have their opinion and I have mine and that's it? Now, it's absolutely true. Case study, prime example. The leaders have the same struggles, temptations, and weaknesses as everybody else. But the attitude that God places leaders in a church, but there's nothing that be, can be gained from following Christian leadership, it is a very off-base attitude. It reveals an unteachable spirit. So what's your attitude? And I don't just mean that toward me, but toward ministry leaders that you work with toward elders in our church. If you're here visiting from another church, maybe you're just from out of town or something, what's your attitude toward uh, the leaders in your own home church? 
Your attitude toward leadership says a lot. If your attitude is, hey, there's no difference. Yeah. Hey, I got an opinion, they got one. Who knows who's right? Doesn't matter, whatever. I'll, I'll go with mine. <laughs> it reveals an unteachable spirit. That doesn't mean the teacher or the leader is always right. But that means your posture should be one of saying, I think God has placed this person in my life for a reason. And so I need to give that person a fair hearing. I need to recognize that there's some reason God put them there. Finally, are you a person who's adopted an attitude that says sin isn't any big deal? Or are you a person who recognizes that it was our sin that sent Christ to the cross? And so even on this side of the cross, and even on this side of becoming a Christian, sin is still a big deal. Which kind of person are you? Your answers to these questions go a long way toward revealing whether or not you are yielded to God. And if you are, then what this attitude is, is a celebration of the blessedness of the state that you're living in, of your condition. It's a celebration of your blessed state. If you're not, then this beatitude highlights that the way that you're living right now is not the kind of life that God blesses. And it points you to the blessed life that God wants you to have. Blessed are the meek. In all that means... For they will inherit the earth. Now what's that mean? Well, there are various views on what it means uh, when Jesus says the meek will inherit the earth. As meekness is right now a characteristic that a lot of a life that is blessed, the statement that the meek shall inherit the earth could mean that those who are yielded to God are those who, who will have the greatest experience of life in the here and now. These qualities of meekness we've learned about today tend to result in well-lived lives. So it might be a way of saying that if you really want to get all you can get out of life, have the most meaningful experience of life, experience life at its very best, live here and now with the abundant life that Christ wants for you, this is how you do it. William MacDonald takes another approach. He writes of the meek inheriting the earth, and I'm paraphrasing, the meek do not now inherit the earth, rather they inherit abuse and dispossession. But they will literally inherit the earth when Christ the King returns and reigns in power and peace and prosperity. Being a notorious fence sitter, I think it means both of these things. <laughs> you like that, Stan? <laughs> no, I, th I, I really think it means both. It seems to me that both of these are likely in view with Jesus' statement that the meek will inherit the earth. Living a life yielded to God really is the only way to live the abundant life that Christ offers us. And here's the truth. He offers us abundant life in the here and now. In the here and now. 
Not a trouble-free life. He doesn't offer us that. But a life of purpose and meaning. A life of joy. A life of peace. Even in the midst of the trouble. And so those who live lives that are yielded to God will absolutely uh, have abundant life now. And they will absolutely inherit inherit the eternal rule and reign of Christ. As this earth is restored to God's original intention and we live with him forever and ever and ever and ever and ever the way that he intended from the very beginning. Now that is a wonderful promise. That is a fantastic future. So I think it means the meek shall inherit abundant life now in the peace and prosperity of the eternal reign of Christ. So let's yield ourselves to God and let's receive the inheritance that comes with living God-controlled lives, with living lives that are yielded to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Oh, oh, you're my redeemer.